HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Juniors. You have not really lived until you've had cheesecake at Juniors. For more information, visit juniorscheesecake.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Eating Matters, a weekly conversation about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm Kim Kessler with the Resnick Program for Food Law and Policy at UCLA Law School, and we are broadcasting live from Brooklyn on Heritage Radio Network. And joining me today as co-host is my co-producer, Jenna Liute. Hi, Jenna. Hi. Today, we are going to be talking about kids' menus as a mother, something I'm particularly interested in. We're talking about where they came from and how they reflect the state of the broader food environment and culture in America today. With the rise of kids' menus came marketing to children, which really took off, starting with the very first ever Happy Meal in the 1970s. Today, marketing food to kids specifically is a multi-billion dollar industry, and many believe it is responsible in part for the high rates of obesity and diet-related disease. Joining me today to delve into these issues and possible policy solutions are going to be George Weld, who's the chef and owner of the famous Williamsburg Brunch Bot Egg and also a contributor to the Wellness in the Schools lunch program. And we'll also be joined in the second half of the program by Jennifer Harris, who's the Director of Marketing Initiatives at the Red Center for Food Policy and Obesity. But before we turn to talking with our two guests, we will first be joined by our team member, whose voice you don't often get to hear on Heritage Radio. This is our own intern, Austin Brunarski. Besides being an invaluable member of the Eating Matters team, Austin is in his senior year at Yale majoring in environmental studies. And since he's at the top of his research game, we asked him to pull a few fun facts for us about the history of kids' menus to help us set the stage for the discussion today. Austin, it's so great to have you here in Brooklyn in the studio. So good to be here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So help us understand a little bit about where the how how we got to this place today or at least where we were coming from (laughs) so yeah michelle humes offers this really good article uh in slate actually and she explains um a couple of uh sort of hinge points that really uh made the children's menu come to be um so one of these hinge points uh was prohibition with the banning of alcohol from a lot of public spaces um it made it 
more generally okay for children to enter these spaces. And restaurants thought that maybe marketing food to kids would be a good idea to make up uh, those lost profits that they would have otherwise had from serving, you know, martinis or mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> so, so before that, it was mainly restaurants were like a place where people went to get boozy? Yeah, restaurants um, really evolved uh, w- depending on the sorts of uh, interactions people were trying to have. So in the 19th century, um, they were seen as places of commerce or business where people would go to you know, sign contracts or whatever. Um, and then uh, it really wasn't until this point when they became uh, spaces that were uh, more um, family-oriented. Um, and then also another sort of uh, theme that made kids menus emerge was this emerging nutrition science um, and really seeing kids as um, you know needing to be healthy and diet as playing a major role in that so um, meaning that they needed something different from the rest of us I think yeah so a lot of um, home economists, I guess you would call them, um, and scientists uh, wrote all sorts of guides about what children should be eating, and oftentimes um, these were much different from what adults would normally eat. So I actually have a... My computer is being wonky right now, but I have a menu from one of these guides, and it says that for breakfast, children should be eating hominy and milk, whole wheat bread and butter, um, for dinner, boil, broiled chicken, baked potatoes, stewed prunes. Uh, prunes were very <laughs> popular in the It sounds t- like hospital. It sounds like yeah. a geriatric <laughs> menu, sort Ex- of. Yeah. Exactly. But I think one thing, um, and this is from Mrs. Owen's new cookbook and complete household manual um, by someone named Francis uh, Imogene Owens. One thing that I think sort of has stayed uh, in the dietary mainstream, or has maybe come back recently, she says, in summer, give tender young vegetables, well-cooked and lightly seasoned, such as small peas, cauliflower, turnips, or asparagus tips. Give fresh and ripe fruit occasionally. So, emphasizing fruits and vegetables. Was there. But it's always. almost the opposite in the sense that it was, like, the blandest, as opposed to, like, the right. souped-up, sugary, salty, fried that we kind of think of associate with kids' menus today. And I think that's sort of uh, a reflection of what they thought was healthiest, really sticking to, um, you know, unseasoned, bland um, foods that what they what they thought, but it didn't seem like they had. Did they I mean? Did they have a lot of scientific evidence for these decisions? Some of them kind of seemed a bit random. So I think so. That's the thing um, to judge science uh, as a discipline a um, hundred years ago is hard to do. Maybe not very fair, right? Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of it reflected the sort of uh, the notion that like the way we ate was a way. Um, to express like morality or you know what so purity basically or not non-indulgence exactly um so and then in terms of uh other sort of themes that i came across in in terms of finding out where these kids menus came from um there's one article all about dining cars and um the sort of bar cars that you might uh come into contact with on a train sounds fun um and the article explained that in order to cultivate the next generation of customers, they would have kids' menus and even drinks that were maybe tailored to 
the a child's palette. Um, There's the marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really know if I buy that argument, the whole like cultivating the next generation of customers. Um, but it is interesting. And then in an encyclopedia um, article, basically, uh, the encyclopedia has has to do or it's just a bunch of entries for a bunch of food related topics. Um, but children's foods was a category. And the subgroup was there was a subgroup that said um, children, children's food and in restaurants, um, but it didn't give much else other than the fact that portion sizes are smaller, and usually these are ge- uh, children's menus are generally limited to kids below the age of twelve. So, I think mm-hmm. the, the marketing piece is really interesting, and that's something we're going to talk about a little bit later in the program with um, Dr. Harris. But um, I did, I did also a, a little bit of reading, and it seemed like from the start they kind of tried to decorate the kids menus or put little characters on them that would sort of speak to the kids and um so i think that they planted the marketing seed very early on in the right evolution of kids so george uh are you there on the line i'm here i want to bring you in now thank you so much for joining us today Yeah, thanks for having me we we are considering you an expert in this as a restaurant owner a dad and someone who cares a lot about kids nutrition and i'd love to just hear if you have any reactions to austin's background I mean, it's it's really, it's super fascinating. One thing I was thinking about, um, just for someone mentioned the idea of children as, you know, the, uh, someone mentioned purity as an idea, um, and thinking about like, it made me think about how maybe we used to think of children as pure vessels of that we didn't want to spoil with you know strong flavors or whatever. And now I think that the the main sort of the overarching um, theme of kids' menus and kids' food marketing is all fun. So it's not about, you know, preserving any. It's just about making this experience fun. Um, And uh, Yeah, there's nothing. It doesn't seem like it's focused on the best interest of the kids. It's focused on, well, I mean, as a parent, it strikes, it seems like it's, um, so that you can eat in peace is the idea behind <laughs> sort of That's one of the ideas motivation. behind it. Yeah, um, yeah I, and I, 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 I mean, I, I, the kids' menus are kids' menus are are strange. We've uh, we've never had them at Egg, um, partly because um, I don't believe in them as a as a person, but also because it's not really necessary at a breakfast restaurant to have a separate kids' menu because the food is already pretty. Um, appeals to people of all ages, including people with no teeth. So um, <laughs> it's you know we, you can always just get you can always get scrambled eggs or grits um, or pancakes and any anyone will be fine. What about portion size though? Have you considered um, maybe offering the same amount of food but in a smaller portion for uh, kids under twelve, say? Well, it's another sort of unique thing about egg is you can kind of order just as much of anything as you want. So, um, you know, the menu we have a we have a set menu, but it's parents usually decide. You know, uh, you know their their infant just gets one scrambled egg or one pancake instead of three. Um, so again, it's not something that we have to sort of separate out in any way. Um, Mm-hmm. We did. Uh, we, you know, for a while when we've done di- when we've done dinner in the past, we have had food sort of at the ready for parents who found, you know, the, the dinner menu that we offered uh, too exotic for their children, or they they believed it was too exotic for their children. So we could we could put something together for them, essentially to allow them to eat in peace while their children ate our version of you know 
chicken wings or something like that. Um, <laughs> Spicy, maybe. So you had mentioned that you are um, not a believer in this idea of kids right. eating separately. So talk more about that. I mean, I, I, I think just, just as a parent, um, I'd, I've never seen a children's menu that wasn't gross you know, and that didn't. I mean, you know, one of the things we were, just the way that kids' menus reflect culture, it, it, they really sort of the worst um, distillation of, of food, you know, popular food culture in the country, I think. You know, the, the blandest possible food, you know, the, the, you know, the menus that have the mazes on them to distract them from eat the, how horrible the food they're eating is. Um, <laughs> and, just, and just the sort of sense that children shouldn't be challenged in any way by their food, you know, that they're, that, I, I, I can't even, I guess I can't quite articulate why I think they're so absurd. Um, right. It's just except- the most accommodating. Well, I think, I think part of it is that um, it seems to me, so this is, uh, I'm, a, I'm not a parent um, yet, but it seems like parents are, or parents, maybe American parents in particular, are terrified that their kids aren't going to get any nutrition. And so I, the baseline thought is, well, at least I'll give them yes. something at least they're going to get their calories in um, and I won't have to worry about it. They won't starve. But I think that that's very different if you look at other cultures like the the French, for instance, who um, in uh, in her 2012 book, French Kids Eat Everything, the author writes that you basically, like, if kids aren't going to eat it, they're just not going to eat it. And eventually they'll be hungry enough that the next time it's introduced, maybe the next meal, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll eat it and like it. But I'm, I'm wondering if you think that this sort of American thought is like why you think this is. And ultimately, if you feel like, you know, at least they get some calories, if that's a good thing. I mean, it's, it's another one of those things where I think it, it, in a lot of cases it ends up, you know, the, the parents' need for, need for peace um, overrules sense. And, and, you know, a child in the throes of a sugar crash or, you know, or, is a terrible thing to, to live with. And so, I mean, I've done it myself, just said, like, fine, just eat pretzels or fine, you know, just kind of given up um, because I know if I don't, my kids are going to f- – they're going to freak out. I'm not mm-hmm. going to hear the end of it. Um, and, and, you know, I think the, the ideal, the sense that we have that French children eat so much better or so much bro- more broadly than our own children do, um, you know, that we have some special, um, you know, that we're especially sinful in this regard. I, I don't know if it's true, but I do know that in my own, between my own children, the, the differences in their palate from the very beginning were so dramatic that all the all the sort of pride I took in myself <laughs> when I you know watched my first child eat everything I put in front of her um, as, you know was was totally washed away by my second child who refused everything um, and and watching their taste change over time has also um, humbled me in a lot of in a lot of ways you know I, right. my my daughter my older daughter used to you know I've I would, you know, in, in the middle, she would spend a lot of time with me in the restaurant. She would eat anything. She she wolfed down a, a can of snails once. She ate grilled lamb hearts as a snack one afternoon. She you know helped, used to help me butcher pigs. Now you know she wants pretzels and pizza like anyone else does. And and I don't I don't know like I don't know where I went wrong. You're like, but what I, happened? I, I think so much of it is just. I mean, my basic feeling about feeding children. Um, and it goes to kids' menus, and, and maybe the idea of like not worrying too much about 
the calories is you you they're they're in the, they're people independent people who are going to develop tastes that are change over their lives and you just have to kind of like do your best and expose them to as much as you can and you know and and hope they turn out they turn out okay this is like parenting there's definitely a lot of lessons there in general i think for parenting yeah right 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 <laughs> uh you know when we when we do for wellness in the schools we'll go into we'll go into um the lunchroom and try to get kids to eat you know we we always bring in a dish made made that features one vegetable or one fruit so and and every time i do it no matter what it is whether it's something really approachable like you know hash browns or something kind of weird like a carrot salad or a lima bean salad there's like an equal number of kids who say hey this is really great can i get a recipe you know even in fourth grade as there are kids who who make a big show of spitting it out in front of me and telling me how gross it is (laughs) so it's just sort of I, i i have kind of i mean i think for me it just it's it feels like the only all you can do is is expose them to as much as as possible and and just try to set a good example and yeah, uh, and then, but the norms around like the norms around what's acceptable over time, I think, do make a difference. Like, there's no doubt that they're picky, but what what you there is there can be limits around accept, acceptability. I think that we as a culture are not really driving right now. Sure. Um, so you spoke about your two kids being different, and I'm just before we let you go, I'm going to these are my two kids, which I which I ask them their opinions about kids menus so first we can hear from my son jude who's a quick take and then we can hear from my daughter lila so they're 10 and 8 oh i hate kids menus because they provide low quality food small portions and it's usually not very healthy (laughs) okay so there's one she did not prep them for that (laughs) that's just what he thinks do you like when you get a kids menu yeah why do you like that because i don't like eating a lot of food, so kid and kids menus they make it like smaller. So I like it. And what about the selection? Do they usually have yummy things to eat? Yeah, for me, uh, they have like chicken nuggets, French fries. They don't have like sushi, I think, but they'll have like good other stuff, like a grilled cheese for lunch and stuff. Mm-hmm. But dinner probably chicken nuggets and fries. So you're happy to order off the kids menu? Yeah, and pizza, of course. Of course, <laughs> of course. I mean, I feel like that says a lot. So, any any thoughts on their two takes, George? Yeah, so, I mean, that sounds a lot like a lot like my kids. Right. No, just, um, I mean, your son sounds like he's ready to step right into the food policy world. Yeah. <laughs> well, not on every. He usually re- distinctly rebels against it. He actually drew his own version of my plate once, and half the it was like one quarter butter, one quarter <laughs> ice cream. One quarter salt and one quarter like you know French fries or something. So if he's cognizant of it, but he yeah he got he actually has become really in, indignant about kids menus. I think because he feels like he's it's like a kid's injustice. You know it's yeah. like kids getting gypped. But yeah. the other thing that struck me when it was actually my sister who interviewed them. But she I, it just is how so how obvious how universal the kids meals are because we all can so quickly recognize you know what my eight year old can recognize. Yeah. That they're just kind of all the same everywhere. Yeah, we went to a the one. It reminded me of a time we recently went to a restaurant um, upstate that uh, built itself as a family restaurant, and 
that was pretty much the bill of fare. And when we finished, my older daughter said, well, that's the last time I'm ever eating in a family restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That's pretty funny. I mean, yeah. in, in all fairness, if, if her baseline, though, George, is your restaurant, that's, that's a very high bar <laughs> well, to set. She, 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 to be honest, I mean, one, one of, another one of the sort of hard, hard things for me to sort of reconcile as a, as a parent and as a professional food person is how much of the food that I make specifically for them that they hate um, you know, even that it, you know, I bring them into the restaurant and it's like I don't want to eat anything here. It's like well, I, I don't know what to do. You're like people line up for hours for this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> so, Make some French um, fries. <laughs> do you, you got a yeah. It's um, well, it's good. It's actually, I mean, it reflects what this is where this is partially why kids menus I think uh, persist because there is there's a genuine issue of pickiness it's hard it is hard to feed kids and everybody is kind of continuing with that at least three times a day and like you say yeah. unless you're the most disciplined person if we have a, an environment that's supportive of some easier choices we often will make them yeah I, I guess my the one thing I would say against it though it goes back to the to the question of exposure and just saying to kids you know you have to. You can pick this stuff off of your dish that you don't want to eat, but you're going to have. You know, I always make my kids have that stuff on their plate, and I always say, just put it on there because it looks better, mm-hmm. and they don't have to eat it. But you know, there's wellness always. Wellness in the schools always cites a statistic that says something like kids need to be exposed, need to try food, any given food, like 11 times before they adjust to it. And kids' menus don't allow that to happen. You know, they don't allow sort of accidental encounters with strange foods that happen because they're, you know, they, they, they cut all that stuff out. And I, that, from a yeah. sort of a serious point of view, I find that really frustrating. Yeah, and I think we're going to delve into that with um, our policy expert guest next. And that is um, that, that evidence is out there about repeated exposures, and it's something that has been a big part of actually the school food conversation as well as you're as you're referencing. Um, so, George, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you sharing you. your opinions and your experiences as a parent and, uh, and a chef, a uh, restaurant owner. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and delve into some of the policy behind kids' menus. Let's play a game. If I say three words, let's say Brooklyn classic food. You tell me what comes to mind. I'll give you a second. 
If the answer wasn't juniors, you lose the game. You can't possibly be a Brooklyn foodie, or a foodie at all for that matter, and not know about Juniors. Founded by Harry Rosen in 1950, Juniors Landmark Restaurant is known as the home of New York's best cheesecake. Real talk, you have not fully lived unless you've had Juniors Cheesecake. The original location in Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue is still thriving, or you can check them out at recent landmark additions in New York's Grand Central Terminal or in the heart of the theater district on Broadway and Times Square. Check out their first restaurant outside of New York at the Fox Tower Hotel at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. It's not just cheesecakes. They've got steak, seafood, sandwiches, salad, everything you would possibly need to complete an authentic New York dining experience. Don't be embarrassed next time somebody asks you if you've been to Junior's. Visit juniorscheesecake.com for more information. You still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back on Eating Matters, talking about kids' menus today. I would now like to welcome to the show Jennifer Harris from the Red Center. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so before the break, we were talking about the origins of kids' menus and how they kind of reflect our broader food culture. And now I think we want to turn to um, one place in particular where, where kids' menus are ubiquitous, and that is in fast food restaurants. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you have done um, ar- around marketing to children and, sure. uh, fa- and it, with the fast food industry? Sure. Well, we've um, been looking at how um, fast food companies market to kids for the past seven or eight years. And um, what we've found is probably not surprising that there really aren't very many healthy kids' meals out there. We looked at 12 different restaurants, and 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 there were over 5,000 different kids' meal combinations, so, you know, uh, main dish, side drink and only 33 so less than one percent of them were healthy and you know not i'm again not surprising most of them include a sugary drink or um, most of them include french fries or some sort of fried side and fried main dish or hamburger so you know they really aren't healthy options and unfortunately others research has shown that Kids eat um, every, any on any given day. A third of kids in the country eat at a fast food restaurant, and when they do, they consume about 150 more calories than they would on a day they don't eat a, at one of the restaurants. So, you know, the public health community really is focusing on on um, kids' meals and fast food as 
you know, big contributor to poor diet and obesity in this country. Were those all chain restaurants that you were analyzing the menus of? Yeah, they they were the top 12 um, fast food chain restaurants, yeah. Before the break, we had on a, a, a restaurant owner here in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, and then we talked about his perspective both as a restaurant owner and as a parent. And one thing, and I'm a parent as well, and we just talked mm-hmm. about the the real issue sometimes of picky, the parents' experience, you know, just pickiness sure. of eating among kids. How do you think that, I mean, do you think there is sort of a legitimate um, argument for having kid-oriented meals, or is that a mistake that um, a lot of people have bought into? Yeah. Well, the picky eating question is really interesting because I think if you asked your parents or grandparents, they had never they never heard of such a thing when they had kids. And um, you know, in the old days, kids ate whatever the adults ate. And kind of like you were talking about kids in France, if they didn't like it, then they didn't eat. But um, nowadays, it seems like. You know, you there, there's a common perception that kids won't eat the same things that adults eat. And I would argue that the marketing to kids has, you know, and, and including kids' meals, has really contributed to that perception because, you know, every day you see children's cereals or, you know, fruit snacks or things that adults would never eat uh, marketed to kids. And... You know, a lot of times when we talk to the companies about why they're marketing such unhealthy stuff, they'll say, well, that's what kids only, you know, kids won't eat the healthy stuff, which I think, you know, helps their business, um, you know, helps the kids' meals business. But I think that that perception has been, you know, really created by the marketing of unhealthy foods to kids. So you're describing kind of a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah. The um, the other thing that we didn't get into, but is just is the low qualityness of the food, and that yeah. it's things that are really able to be shelf stable or frozen, and not uh, and extremely Fresh. ubiquitous, so that you can have the same kinds of offerings at many different places. How do you think that ties in to you know what's going on behind the offering of these meals? Well, I think anything. What, what one thing that. Um, kids' foods and, and kids' meals have more than non-kids' foods is a lot of sugar. Um, also, they tend to have more sodium and tend to be more fried foods. And, you know, kids, even adults, um, tend to prefer products that have a lot of salt and sugar and fat, which, um, you know, biologically that's what our our bodies prefer because, you know, in in the Stone Age, we needed the extra calories, but now we don't. And, you know, so unless you serve kids the fruits and vegetables from the time they're very young, they, they need to cultivate the taste for things that aren't as sweet or, or salty. And if they don't get exposed to those foods, then they're not going to like them. And unfortunately, there's a very small window of opportunity to to teach kids about that so you know the whole all the offering the kids meals with unhealthy food really um you know hurts their their ability to to enjoy healthy food their entire life so that's another major issue 
can you tell us about some policy solutions that you have come across in your sure. in your work that um, you have found try to m- improve the nutritional value of the, these foods uh, or get rid of a kids' menus altogether? Sure. Well, in um, there have been a few things that the the restaurants actually have. Um, implemented. One is the National Restaurant Association has a Kids Live Well program where um, chain restaurants that participate are required to offer one healthy kids meal. And the meals that they offer actually uh, uh, through this program are actually quite healthy, but the problem is it's only one meal out of 20 or 30 that are available. And, you know, if you ask a child, would you rather have apples or french fries? If they see french fries on the menu, that's what they're going to want. So um, so that's one option. Uh, another is that um, recently a, a bunch of fast food restaurants, including McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Dairy Queen, and just recently Applebee's have decided to take sugary drinks and sodas off their kids' meal menu, which we think is fabulous because um, you know, that sugary drink has extra calories and sugar that no child needs. So um, we feel like that's a really um, positive step. Um, the question is when the child goes into the restaurant and they see that soda is available, is that what they're going to insist on? So, and, and will the parents give in? So that's, that's an issue. Um, there have been a few um, local municipalities that have implemented um, kids meals policies in um, Santa Clara, California, and San Francisco. They now um, have nutrition standards for food for kids meals that can include a toy. Um, so if the meal doesn't meet the nutrition standards, then it can't have a toy with it. That's an attempt <coughs> to get the healthy food, the healthier options. To you know, promote the healthier options. And what kind deploy. of like what's a what's the type of meal that might meet that? Is it a dramatic difference or? Um, well, it doesn't have soda and it doesn't have French fries. So it, you know, a hamburger with apple slices and milk would meet those standards. Um, but unfortunately, in those um, cities, that that policy has kind of backfired. So. Uh, some companies have just decided not to offer toys with any of their meals, and, you know, you can buy a toy on the side instead. So that's kind of um, backfired. But one policy that was recently implemented in Davis, California, is similar to what the restaurants have done on their own, where the kids' meals have to come with a healthy drink, so water, 100% juice. Or milk, and that's the kind of policy. It sounds like um, we've heard of a lot of different um, local cities that are considering those types of policies. So that may, so that may um, expand. Can you describe a little bit how the, how the offering of the meals ties into broader kids marketing efforts? Um, yeah. So um, you know, the, the really the biggest. Kids marketer, the biggest food marketer that targets kids is McDonald's, and um, 15% of kids under five. We did a survey of parents who said that their kids, 15% of their kids under five, asked to go to McDonald's every day. So the way that the, wow. their their marketing works is they they 
um, advertise on television where a lot of children see the ads. They promote not only their their food, but also the toy that comes with the with the food, um, and that gets the kids to ask their parents to go. And you know, if you ask your parents enough, eventually they'll probably take you. So that becomes um, you know really a two way, a two step kind of marketing, getting the kids to bug their parents, and then um, and then. A lot of the restaurants' marketing to parents is all about, you know, how taking their kids to these rest to McDonald's or, or a restaurant like that is is a, a special treat. And you know, you look at the ads; it's all about how your kids will love you more and be happy if you take them to these restaurants. So they're really playing on the parents' heartstrings and giving them sort of permission to take their kids to the restaurants, even though most parents. We ask, know that it's not, you know, the stuff there isn't very healthy. What advice would you give to parents who are kind of in this, it sounds like, everyday struggle um, to, to go to a McDonald's or a Burger King? Well, I think parents have to um, decide what, you know, what, what, they're, what they're willing to do. I mean, I don't. Some parents just say, no, we don't eat at those kinds of restaurants. Other parents might say, well, you know, we'll eat there once a month. It'll be a special treat. Um, but I think it, what what is most harmful is the perception that you can eat at McDonald's two or three times a week um, because that's, you know, when the calories and the, and the fat and the sodium then really adds up. Do you have a next kind of major policy goal? for your work on this issue? Um, well, our, uh, as I said, the, the getting the sugary drinks out of the kids' meals would be a huge win. Um, but I, I would love to see, um, you know, some actually healthy options on kids' meals, you know, for the, for the main dish. Like, I, I don't know why. Well, I guess kids love chicken nuggets, so that's why it's on every... Um, kids meal menu, but, you know, a chicken sandwich or, uh, you know, a grilled chicken sandwich or something that would actually be healthy as the main dish on the kids meal would be great because that's something other than Subway, which has, you know, a like a turkey sandwich. There's nothing on any of the fast food kids meals main dishes that are healthy. It also makes it harder to want to eat apples if you're eating adult. I mean, I think if you're eating a delicious burger, the apples maybe pale in comparison. <laughs> well, and when you walk in the restaurant, you smell the French fries. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, to, to smell those French fries and then, say, and then expect the kids to eat apples. I mean, most adults <laughs> kids don't will. have that Some kids of will. power. I'm not sure why they expect <laughs> right. kids will do that. So I know the Red Center has also, <laughs> it's just as a last question, the Red Center has done a lot of work around school food as well. Mm. And I'm interested to hear, do you see a connection between what goes on in school food policy and the work that you're doing focused on kids' menus and marketing to kids? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the... School nutrition standards are what we use to evaluate the kids' meals. Um, and, uh, you know, I think just the more kids become used to seeing, you know, I, the, the great thing about the school meals policy is, you know, they're getting the 
the chicken nuggets out of there. They're getting the french fries out of there. They're getting the sodas out of the schools. And I think when those kinds of foods don't, don't become something that kids expect to eat every day, that we're going to see a huge um, improvement in children's diets. And, you know, the fact that they were offered in schools before really counteracted a lot of the nutrition advice that, that kids were, you know, they go to health class and they're told not to eat a lot of fat and sugar, and then they go to the cafeteria and there's lots of fat and sugar. So, you know, it, you, you have to practice what you preach, I guess, and, and the schools are really the ideal first place to be able to reach a lot of kids and really demonstrate what good nutrition is. So we're going to leave it there. That's our show for today. I want to thank you, Jennifer Harris from the Red Center for joining us. Well, thanks. It was fun. Appreciate you taking the time. And I want to thank our earlier guest, George Weld, as well. Our show co-producer, my co-host today is Jenna Liut, and our intern who happily was here all the way from New Haven today is Austin Brynarski. The show music is by Tim Archer. This is our last show of the season. If you haven't already, I hope you will consider supporting Heritage Radio Network. If you like the show, reach out and make a donation. Um, And I want to thank our sponsors and, of course, our engineer, Liz Smith, who's been wonderful all season and uh, helped us kick it up a notch, we think. Mm -hmm. The show is available here on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast at iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find us on Twitter at Eat Matters HRN. I'm Kim Kessler, and thank you all for listening. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.